Hello, everybody. Mackenzie here from Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. Yes, I know season five has been taking a bit longer to get put together and get out. But I promise you that toward the beginning of 2023, we will have the season five premiere. And boy, do we have a great season lined up for you. And we definitely have some big announcements to make. In the meantime, though, between now and the new year, we are going to be doing something special. As you may know, I am part of another theater company called Cup of Hemlock Theater, where I am the co-artistic producer. And on that show, we do reviews of live theater that we see, as well as reviews of stage pro shots, as well as artist interviews and roundtable discussions. So between now and then, I'm going to be releasing our episodes we've done on musical pro shots we've covered, including the pro shot of Oklahoma starring Hugh Jackman. We have a pro shot of Showboat that we've done. We've done one of David Hasselhoff's Jekyll and Hyde. So we have a few great episodes that I love to introduce you to this other venue that I do. So if you have interests beyond musicals and want to know more about traditional plays and hear from other local artists, This is a great podcast you can listen to. So check out these episodes and I hope you'll join us on the Cup of Hemlock feed as well because you'll find me there as well. Thanks, everybody. Stay tuned for season five. I promise it's coming early 2023. Thanks so much. See you soon and enjoy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theatre. I am your marketing manager and host, Mackenzie, and we are doing a very special episode today. We are doing our first ever musical review. That's right. We are diving into the musical theater canon today, as that is a major section of the Broadway HD um, uh, digital database. So. We are every, every uh, usually it's after every three plays, we'll do one musical. So our first musical, though, is none other than the musical that a lot of people credit as kind of the modern uh, music, uh, the kind of the start of the modern musical, which is the Rodgers and Hammerstein first collaboration in classic Oklahoma. Um, but yes, <laughs> so we're doing we're talking about a very special production of Oklahoma. It is from the 1998 Western Revival done by the Royal National Theatre, and it is led by none other than Wolverine himself, Hugh Jackman. (laughs) And this was actually the performance, like this role and this musical actually was the way that he got cast as Wolverine in X-Men. The casting directors and directors saw him do the final fight scene against Jet at the end of the musical, and they were like, Okay, he could be Wolverine. He can do this part. So that's where that is. But there's a lot of other great uh, theater pedigree with this show. It was directed by Trevor Nunn, who is the director for Cats, as well as the co-director for the mega musical Les Miserables. And it was choreographed by none other than Susan Stroman, who, Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but she is the director and choreographer of our favorite musical, the producers so there you go oh nice i didn't know that but that makes me happy (laughs) exactly five-time tony winner susan stroman was our choreographer and it was directed by musical theater legend 
Trevor Nunn. So there we go. But yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, joining me, we have a great panel with us. Uh, first off, returning from our pipeline panel review, the man who was back at York, going to get his uh, minor minor in psychology. Uh, none other than major. Mr. Andrew Poirier. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. Oh, major. Sorry, major. You're major. Hello, Mac. How are you? I'm doing well. Looks like you're dressed to go to the box. <laughs> One of those. I don't know. I'm back. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you're so beaming about this first musical on the cup. <laughs> it gives me a lot of a lot of energy. Now I got to do justice to this episode. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I host a podcast all about musicals. And the fact that this was one of our first episodes this is true. We on the podcast was about Oklahoma. So it was great to kind of get back and revisit my favorite version of this musical. So, yeah, there we go. Oh, uh, nice. Andrew, why don't you tell us what is in your cup as well as what was your favorite song of, of, of this musical? <laughs> um, all right. So I got this Romeo. I'm, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. <laughs> Lime Zini. It's like a I'm, I'm assuming it's like a lime version of a peach Bellini. Okay. So, yes, I, I went fancy. I also just went to the Lickbo and was like, hmm, what looks purdy? <laughs> and that's how I chose it. Uh, my it's favorite purdy. song. <laughs> it's purdy. <laughs> oh, geez. I have to say, I have to say Lonely Room. <laughs> ah, just yeah, big that was probably my favorite. For uh, I, I have my reasons. Maybe we'll get into that later. It's, but a, yeah. good, it's a damn good villain song. It. That's that's, a, that's <laughs> one of them. Yep, <laughs> it is. And fun fact: uh, that actor who plays Judd uh, Schuler Hensley. If you've ever seen the movie Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, that is the actor who plays Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. So there you go. No way. Well, oh my gosh, yeah. all these connections. They were born to fight each other. <laughs> really? <laughs> it seems yeah. so. Yes. Uh, there we go, though. Next up, we have returning to us. Once again, we, we, Katie, you've been on us now. This would be, what, your third or fourth episode? Because you... Oh, so I think just my second. Yeah. Is this your second? My second okay. time. Yeah. Well, yeah very excited back. to be here. Yeah, so. welcome back Gosh. to another, another review. So tell us what's in your cup today, and also, and also, just what was your favorite song? Because you are my, the other musical theater kind of knowledgeable person on this panel. Um, right now I'm drinking uh some Forty Creek. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> neat, not very fancy at all. Um, and my so my favorite song in Oklahoma is "The Farmer and the Cowman." Uh, will be friends. be friends. Must be friends. Am I getting? Should be Fred. Carver, <laughs> should be friends. The farmer and the camera I, is what I it's have called. a. Uh, oh, that's okay. When I was when I was like ten, maybe maybe even younger, we did like a like a, a competition dance number to that song. So that's always <laughs> that's always the uh, the song from Oklahoma that kind of like remains in my uh, yeah in my head at all times. <laughs> so, it's a very yeah. timely song considering right now it is currently election week. In the states, we they have yet to declare the official winner. So by the time the time of recording, yeah, recording on Friday, they have not announced the winner yet. I'm sure by next Wednesday, hopefully, they will have announced uh, who won the election. Uh, but yeah, that song. I mean, just rewatching that scene and listening to those lyrics, it's like very timely. <laughs> 
that a, a music written in the 1940s is coming back and, st- and still sh- proving its relevance in this day and age. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get more into that. signs of a good good song. Signs exactly. of a good song, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then we have our wonderful literary manager, resident dramaturg, my co-producer of All Things the Cup, Mr. Ryan Barakovich. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Mac. How's it going? Uh, good, good to be here. Happy to talk about Oklahoma, which I had never seen prior to this. I knew oh. nothing about it. So, so this, right. this was a trip for me. A trip to Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it's true. In the yeah. 1970s, that song became the official song of the state of Oklahoma. So there you go. That makes sense. <laughs> cool. But Ryan, what is in your fun cup today? What, what, yeah, I got a lot of fun facts. I was going to say, if it's a musical, like, I know. Max, Max, the walking Wikipedia, I think. <laughs> All right, Ryan, but tell us, what is in your cup today? And uh, so, uh, what's it, what's your favorite song? So I got in my the cup cup so meta I know cup of hemlock logo on the back. I am drinking orange pico tea, and standard stuff really. Um, and my favorite song. Uh, mulled over this for a little while, but this might sound basic, but I think it's I gotta go with oh what a beautiful morning. Mm, um, yeah. That's, it, like it's the first song we hear that damn light motif keeps playing over and over again anytime Hugh Jackman's on stage. But you know what? It, it's it's catchy. I'm still humming it after the fact. And I, I honestly can't say the same about most of the other songs in this. As good as they are in the moment, I didn't find they stuck with me the same way. So I'm going to go with the oldie and the goldie. I sing it almost every morning, much Trademark. to my family's chagrin. I love oh, What a Beautiful Morning. <laughs> is that your yes. pick, Meg? Uh, I have to say it is. I mean, it's also just such a, I mean, the, historically speaking, that song was such a departure from what audiences were used to that if I ever had a time machine, I would love to go back and watch the first preview of this musical just to see the audience reaction to when they're expecting this rousing opening company number. And yet instead you have Aunt Eller churning butter and Offstage, you got a, a a a cowboy singing all by himself. I mean, it, it's it's a beautiful song that sets the setting and the mood of the story so well that a song about cows and 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 corn and and the wind it just totally sets up what this musical is. It's it's a pastoral tale. Let's head into the questions, shall we? What's in your cup, though? Oh, of course, of course. Uh, well, I'm also drinking from my official The Cup Cup. <laughs> and I'm drinking my glass of um, uh, uh, um, Earl Grey tea. But I also have a cranberry uh, drink. After all, Oklahoma is a red state, so a red bit of crystal light as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's head into this, shall we? Let's start off with. Uh, really, I mean, this is Hugh Jackman's show. I mean, he is the one that's marketed with this version all the time. So let's talk about him a little bit. Overall, what were your thoughts on Hugh Jackman's portrayal of the titular character of Curly? Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you on this one. I don't think that's a, a titular movie. I, I was <laughs> going to say, I'm like, that's that's not how that works. So apparently Hugh Jackman played Oklahoma. <laughs> 
<laughs> just an impressive feat. <laughs> uh, what were my Curly thoughts? represents um, Oklahoma. He's a little rough around the edges. <laughs> he's Ah, uh, there we go. That's that's an excellent, excellent way of spinning it. <laughs> uh, what were my thoughts? I mean, Hugh Jackman is just generally a talent. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately does show in Oklahoma. You kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty on brand for him. <laughs> um, I have to say, even though we're talking about Hugh Jackman right now, he wasn't necessarily the performer that stuck with me. So not to say he was disappointing at all, because mm-hmm. he 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 rarely is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually can't think of when he has been, but uh, you just show me. I, I will. Oh, I mean, I enjoy. I, I'm gonna like admit he it. was okay fine in it, but that movie, the movie itself general, is very. This is fair. This is a, this is very fair. But he's fantastic yeah, in I, prisoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, uh, in this one, he's great. He, you know, his his voice just he he he. That guy can sing, and I hate him for it. He's a triple threat, and I hate him. <laughs> but yeah, that's You're that's a triple that's, threat. That's all he I can got. sing, he can act, he can fight, <laughs> and he can dance. I mean, I I, exactly. I watch him in that ballet. <laughs> you do all three at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I I mean that ballet. Technically, he does at least three things at once. So. <laughs> Um, this is very true. Yes. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people forget Hugh Jackman before he did Les Mis, which is kind of when a lot of regular cinema folk got introduced to his musical chops. Forget that he's a Tony-winning um, actor who who also hosted the Tony Awards like three times. Like he, like he, like he has some deep musical theater roots, especially down in Australia, where he was one of the. I think he originated the role of Gaston in Beauty and the Beast when that musical made it down to. Uh, d- down under. So, there you go. More fun facts about Hugh Jackman. Katie, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hugh Jackman? Too, but maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Hugh Jackman. I thought he was really great. I think I kind of agree with Andrew. Where you know it's funny. I also I'm like a terrible musical theater person and have never seen Oklahoma before. And I know that Curly has this like, you know, he sings, he sings the song that we all know and he opens the show with it. And then I was kind of like, wow, you were, you're kind of outshone by a whole bunch of much, much juicier characters. Mm. Um, But, and so, yeah, so I kind of felt, I kind of felt that quite strongly through the whole thing, but I thought he was great. I thought his, his acting was so lovely and, and, um specific and and well thought out and uh yeah and i thought his voice sounded great and yeah to his kind of i thought dude could dance <laughs> i was like i i thought he was great yeah i was really yeah i have very few like i think uh negative things to say about that performance i thought yeah that was it's a great role for him he was yeah he was wonderful yeah wonderful ryan yeah. your thoughts on mr yeah. hugh jackman so this is going to sound worse than it is. I will preface it with that. I wasn't Excited. sold on him right away. Mm. Like, I, totally, I feel that. I feel like, that. Well, well, it's it, yes and no, I guess, to it also, because he the first thing we see and hear of him is his singing. And man, the man can sing. So mm-hmm. he, he comes out vocal cords are blazing and like, OK, nice. He's going to be a good leading man in this musical. But then when he stopped singing, I had a moment of like, oh, no, what's going on? Because uh, I at first, I will say I wasn't sold by his acting of this 
like cowboy archetype it seemed just a little put on for my taste um yeah i don't know what it was like something about it i just thought didn't click with me right away but there was two key moments where i think that changed and then i was on board for the rest the first one was in the scene in Judd's smokehouse. Mm-hmm. It is the kind of monologue he has where he's basically trying to talk Judd into thinking that he wants to hang himself. <laughs> like it, it was a it was a shocking scene, but the fact that he sold that and like that actually felt like very sincere and like oh my god, wow, that's a side of this character I had not seen before, and I was like suddenly <laughs> okay, tell me more, Mister Jackman. Um, then. And then I know this comes late, but the moment when I was completely sold on his like non-musical acting in this was actually just the very cute, very awkward proposal scene. I just mm. thought everything about that just gave me the warm and fuzzies inside. And I was like, okay, Mr. Jackman, carry on. And yeah, I, overall, I think it is a great performance. I, I recognize that this is kind of pre-stardom for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like it's, it's, tempting to look like oh Hugh Jackman big star headlining this show uh but yeah I think this is pretty early in his career and like he still has room to grow that we've seen over the past two decades for sure yeah I mean I I have to agree with a lot with everybody what everybody said I mean Hugh Jackman I mean this is such a beautiful performance he gives I mean he is so freaking charismatic in this role with that pearly white smile like you can't help in those first few not to kind of become enamored with this guy um it's like of course you can come sing through my cornfield of course curly like right on go right on ahead uh but at the same time he can get really like like you can see that darker side of this character that if you wanted to make curly into a bit more of a villain you can do that like that scene in the smokehouse what leading man character that's supposed to be like this knight in shining armor is off telling another guy to go like it's okay go hang yourself like you could do it you know the beams there like you know it'll work for you so i mean like uh, it's such a it's but like yet, all these nice uh, things when you're gone exactly exactly and yet and yet it was at the end that he was lying through his teeth because ain't nobody mourning judd at the end of that at the end of the musical um uh but i mean like oh but he makes that even in that dark scene he you're still on side with curly on this matter like you're still kind of you're you're kind of like being like the, part of the bully's posse in this one where you're, you're kind of ribbing this other other character. I mean, <laughs> say what you will about Judd. I mean, Judd is I think not that's the a nicest debatable. character. <laughs> I, I mean, Judd is not the nicest character to begin with, but in that moment where you got that you're you're supposed a good leading man working his ma- his magic to con- to convince this guy to commit suicide, like as the audience, you're kind of on board with him, and you're like. Hold on a minute here. I got to take a step back and think this part Speak over. For yourself, I, I have to say, I'm. I, I found myself rooting for for Jeb when he like pulled out the knife. I'm like, no, you know what? Just just stab him. <laughs> I feel bad for Judd. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I feel bad for Judd too in this in this yeah. moment. But at the same time, it's like I can't really hate Hugh Jackman in this moment either. It's I like he's they're so both Jackman. deeply flawed know, characters. That got cringy yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, and like a part of what I was getting at when I 
shouted out that moment wasn't that oh man he's so charming telling this guy to hang himself like it was oh no it was the turn this character took that gave me yeah. a glass that turn. showed the layers of the character mm. i was not on board with it at all yeah, yeah. and I at this point it. yeah no 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 please absolutely finish. I, well at that point remember we this is like the second time we've even seen judd on stage yes. and mm -hmm. he has not proven himself to be a villain yet curly yeah. doesn't like him because they're after the same gal but that yeah there is no justification from curly's perspective to go that extreme yeah absolutely not mm -hmm. i mean it's it's the it's really what that's another great thing about this character of curly and about this musical is it creates a lot of great moral debates that you can have as a director when you're crafting this pieces you can take these characters in so many different directions and we're going to talk about that more as we go through this piece in this in this work but like it, it, it this show just get opens up so many possibilities of ways you can interpret these characters like it's fantastic and Hugh Jackman just did such a great job making Curly likable in so many of these mo moments where where at times he can come across as really I don't want to say abusive but just kind of like really kind of a like not a nicer guy like he's like i, I, I like he like you, you're still on side with curly by the end of the musical and that's a big tightrope to walk so yeah hugh jackman good for you but as we said there are other fantastic people who surround hugh jackman in this uh piece katie we'll let you start this one who is your other person you'd like to share oh man i mean i have so okay the women kind of stole the show for me uh, I'm sorry. I'm pulling up the cast list now because I don't. I I didn't. I was a bad actor and didn't do my research and I don't know their names. Okay, great. But the woman who played Lori, whole holy Josephine moly, Gabrielle? That's an, Josephine yes, Gabrielle. that yeah, that's an insane role. Like you have to uh, dance a ballet, <laughs> which she did beautifully. She's mm -hmm. she's a beautiful ballerina. My goodness, you have to sing the soprano line. And then you have to basically go from sobbing to laughing like eight different times. <laughs> like I was like, this is a this is a hard role. And she, I thought she was like quite magnificent. Um, and then uh, actually, the first person who got who kind of got me on board right away was Aunt Eller. I thought Aunt I thought Aunt she Eller. was great. I thought she yeah. was so good. And Lauren then of course Littner. a big shout out. Yeah, and she was just yeah truly amazing and kind of had that like grounding mm -hmm. presence that i think we mm -hmm. need in this musical yes and then uh yeah and then ado annie i love i think it's because <laughs> i'm like secretly like that's who i'd be in this musical but uh yeah i really i really really like it uh yeah and again i'm so terrible and i don't know where vicky simon she was awesome. is as ado annie vicky simon yeah yeah i thought she was so funny and like so um yeah, and also so sweet. I really, I was really on board with with Ado Annie. I think the entire yeah. time. But yeah, that was it. And I piggyback right off of that because I was also going to pick Vicky Simon as Ado Annie. Yeah. But, uh, piggyback and my, off that, my and big... then I'll piggyback off you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, my big like, well, one she just steals the spotlight in any scene she's in. Yeah. And but something that I think is worth remarking upon uh, with this character is like. She did such a great job of like taking this character as she is. But something that strikes me as odd is the musical itself seems to condemn her as a character. Like the whole song, I can't say no is basically just ha ha. Yeah. Our authors are slut shaming you. Isn't that <laughs> funny? And like, like I, I guess yeah, someone apparently. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, it's really probably but yeah, like, like all I, or nothing. Like that very much is. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> well, that too. And like, and like, honestly, I hated Will Parker. Like, nothing against the actor, but just the character. Just yeah. like, I'm like, and like, well, I, I, I know, like, not that Ellie Hakim is much better, but like, <laughs> in terms of their like relationship with her. But I think, yeah, something that just Vicky Simon did so well is bringing the comedy to this character and like un- recognizing that it is what it is kind of when I, I i can definitely see like more subversive takes of this probably not 20 years ago when this was done but like more subversive takes that will really like kind of play with these uncomfortable dynamics with this treatment of this character but i think you know that would have to come at the cost of the fun and i i like that this version is still able to find the fun in this character and i think this performer did it very well i i also think that she's um what i liked about vicky sorry not to jump back to me what i liked about her performance is that she was she was very um she she seemed to me to be proud of who she was, you know, and again, because like, this is not a great show for women. Let's be like, totally real. We're, you know, <laughs> they're treated as property. We're buying them at the the dance. Like, it's it's truly not a great show for women, um, you know, uh, and I, I thought that she was very, she did a really good job of being like, this is who this person is and not being, a, it, she didn't seem ashamed of it to me. And I think that that was like really a win for, yeah, like, for Ado Annie. Yeah. Yeah, she's super comfortable just yeah sleeping around having Mm -hmm. several different suitors and yeah it's it's the men in her life that are forcing her into this box and she's she's just being herself and i I was i was here for it yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i mean you definitely can see ado annie is very much a reflection of her time because i mean this is this musical came out 49 i think i said is when it came out yeah 40 hold on yeah i think it's 49 Uh, i want to say you're right yeah I know I, not to challenge sure you on musical trivia. I, I, I'm 43. pretty sure it's 43. Okay, so okay, so even more important, 43. So this is right during the middle of World War II, and women are in the workplace, but then also the war is about to end. So it's the whole thing of women going back into the home and men coming back into the regular lives. So it's a whole weird representation of women of this time period, um, where it's like. It's it's a changing world for them, and Ado Annie very much embodies that. Where on one hand she is this freewheeling out there in the world, all better stuff, but at the same time she still has to deal with these very, I, I, I don't, I guess we can say conservative, um, traditional men who are who who are very much like, nope, you're going to be in the home, you're going to look after this, like like this is what it is, and yet you got Ado Annie being this total, um. Contrast that. So yeah, I mean, Ado Annie, like, she's a, she's a t- another tightrope character to walk, and you can play her so many ways that it's wonderful. Uh, but I will say, piggybacking off Ryan and Katie, there, I'm going to give my shout out to Maureen Littman as Aunt Ellery, though, because and Katie, you kind of alluded to it a bit, but she's she's a she is the grounding sounding board for all these other kind of zany characters throughout the piece, whether it's Ado Annie's dad or 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 even like Ali Hackham or um Akeem um or 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 Ado Annie or any of these other people. She's she's this great kind of lightning rod that kind of gives everybody something to play off of and she totally shifts the way she plays each of the scenes with people. Like she's never the same way it, with each of these characters. Like sometimes she can be like really tough as nails and she's dealing with uh 
Andrew, the uh, the the Edo Annie's dad, uh, dur- during the box social. But then on, on the other hand, uh, she could be totally loving and endearing, like like with Lori after the fight between Curly and Judd, where she's basically she's saying like, "Listen, you gotta toughen up here, honey. Like the world is not gonna be roses here. Like like this is life." Um, so I mean, she walked that line so well with this, and considering like this is the kind of the first of the major. Motherly supporting characters that Rogers and Hammerstein will give, accumulating with the mother abbess in uh, Sound of Music at the end of their partnership. But you can see the seeds of where this type of character will grow to by the time we get to the end of their partnership. Like, this is a very great foundational kind of concept character for them, where it's like, okay, we need like a, a motherly figure. A lot of times it is like an aunt and not like an actual mother. Like, like I'm thinking, like, you have. Uh, cousin Nettie in um in 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 um in um Carousel. You have uh, yes. the first wife in King and I. You have um uh, uh Bloody Mary in um in in South Pacific. The Mother Abbess, as we said, in Sound of Music. Like it's, she's she's I think Hillary's kind of the start of this great motherly supporting figure that Rogers and Hammerstein will used to give. The, really, the great big power ballads. Or, or, or the big message piece uh, of the musical to you. I mean, like, Farmer and the Cowman, yes, it's comedic, but then the next step is um, uh, You'll Never Walk Alone, and then you have that by the end of the run, you have uh, Climb Every Mountain. So it's this thing of, like, the message song always goes to kind of the supporting uh, uh, motherly, mother figure of the piece, and yet it's A.A. Teller who's giving this message of unity um, in this time of conflict in, in this community, so... Yeah, and yet I mean, she's also pointing guns at people. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like that's who Aunt Della is. Very violent. I mean, I mean, I mean, hey, don't, she, like, she is. Like, if you look at it, if you look at the, the community, though, like there's not a lot of older women around her who are kind of keeping yeah. all keeping everything together. Yeah. I mean, she is mm-hmm. literally the glue of that community who bridges the gap between yeah. the cowboys and the farmers. So when you're playing with these rough and tumble guys, I mean, sometimes you got to pull a shotgun on them. <laughs> yeah. it's a thing i want her to I run mean... for mayor of this town i think if anyone. <laughs> oh i think she kind of is the mayor of the town pretty much yeah exactly oh she totally Absolutely. runs everybody yeah i mean yeah. she totally runs everybody and puts every and keeps everybody in their place i mean it's great with ali hack uh, where he calls her aunt Deller and she goes i am not your aunt Deller. <laughs> don't you dare call me aunt Deller. so once again she is the community kind of gate that lets people in and out of this community. Um, so it's really interesting that like she plays this role, which is I wonder is why, why I think people like Curly are accepted into this community. While somebody like a Judd Fry isn't. Like he is not accepted in this community. Aunt Eller as like the auctioneer at the box social, where she's clearly tipping the scale in Curly's favor by stalling it out on him repeatedly. It's like. It's like she's very much like I didn't think of this too much. She's very much like the gatekeeper of this community. Like she lets people know who's in and who's out. So I mean, I mean, even with the in the end with the trial with that federal marshal, she basically blackmails that one guy, being like, "I'll tell your wife about the affair you're having. I'm not having an affair. Well, we can't prove it, so you know, like <laughs> it's like Aunt Eller. <laughs> so yeah, Aunt Eller, like fantastic character. I love. Maureen Lippin is Aunt Ellie. She holds her own on that stage with a lot of male, men, for sure. Uh, Andrew, who is your shout out? All right, I gotta. <laughs> this is 
this is going to end badly for me. Um, mm -hmm. So I do have to give uh, a shout out to Vicky Simon because I did enjoy Ado. I've been, I've been looking at too much Shakespeare, so I always want to say adieu. Adieu, Annie. Much ado without Annie. Much ado, Annie. All this stuff going to mess with me. But yes, okay. I also agree with you guys. I really liked the way uh, Ado or Vicky Simon uh, portrayed Ado Annie because she was just mm -hmm. this lovable free spirit. And I really enjoyed that. So this is where I get, this is where I lose people. Um, I actually kind of enjoyed Ali Hakim. Um, oh, no, he's great. Carp yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Peter Polycarp. Peter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Polycarpu. Um, I actually, so the, the, the character is questionable. I found actually a, a lot of the times I had to be like, do I like the actor, but not <laughs> like the character? Or it was, it was a little hard to separate at times, mm -hmm. but. I thought his, for all of the characters' faults, the actor knew his comedic timing. And the only time that I really like laughed was when he was talking. Because <laughs> he mm -hmm. was just fierce with delivering a punchline. Yes. Um, so I have to I have to give him credits as the only guy in the show that make me, that made me laugh. Oh, actually that's not true. Aunt Aunt Eller did make me laugh, but not admittedly as hard as Ali Hakim. Yep. So yeah, those are those are my two shout outs mm -hmm. that I have to give. That Peter, he's a wonderful uh actor. He I mean he I mean he I mean he over in the West and he's he's actually like one of the big musical people they have over there. I mean he was in the original cast of Les Miserables and Phantom. Uh and then he also what's uh, there's another, oh he um played Give me a minute. I know it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, he was the original um um, 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 he was the original John in Miss Saigon, the one that sings Blue Doy uh, at the top of Act Two. All right. So, so yeah, yeah. So he is a lot of like he's a big name, and he, yeah, he he really did walk the line with Ali with Ali Hakim, where it can go really badly for that character if you play it really wrong, and yet he played. Uh, uh, you actually really liked Ali ha Hakim. Like he uh, he is actually a really likable character in this piece. I mean he, I mean I mean he saves Curly's life um in act two so yes so which, <laughs> which go on right <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that scene was so silly to me not because ellie hakim saves curly's life but because judd was just going to slit curly's throat throat in front of everyone yeah. like yeah. this is the same guy who covered his tracks by burning a barn in the previous town he's this unsubtle in this moment like <laughs> while while we're on this topic i deliberately didn't pick him because i thought for sure someone else would and uh, vicky simon kind of took slightly precedence over me but uh schuler is his name pronounced schuler hensley who played judd yes. was a close second oh, yeah. for me in the shout out because, like, well, first of all, he was just the right yeah. amount of creepy. Yes. Like, you kind of feel bad for Absolutely. him and his outsider status, but he's he's off-putting enough that you get why people other him. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> that is, like, a, a good, that is a difficult yeah. balance, like, yes. where you want, you can under, you understand the sympathetic side while still being completely on board with maybe we shouldn't yeah. be, yes. be too nice yeah. to this guy yeah. <laughs> uh, and give him ideas. Um, but at the same time, that singing voice threw me for a loop okay. and it's just so jarring because he seems like the least refined person in this whole show but but he has an opera singer's like tenor and <laughs> so like yeah he's a, he, and, and there is something he's a like baritone not a tenor oh, okay well, <laughs> showing my hand I'm my lack of I, 
because <laughs> I'm it's sure it is. <laughs> performance that gave the concept of tenors are, are the heroes, baritones are the villains. So yeah. it's, it's okay. this type of song Thank that kind of set that. Press silly me. <laughs> but you're Why right. Didn't no, you know that. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I mean, Schuler Hensley. I mean, he's played some of the great um, uh, uh, musical theater antagonists. Like he was Billy Bigelow uh, in Carousel, which has the best baritone song, which is Soliloquy. Uh, he's played Javert in the West End a few times. Like, just go up and let's go watch him play Javert. It's like, why didn't we cast him instead of Russell Crowe? Um, honestly. Uh, Opposite like, Hugh Jackman again. Opposite, just Jackman. like Frankenstein and Van Helsing. There you go. <laughs> exactly. They're a package deal. Exactly. But he, has, he just has such a booming presence on stage. Like, even with him oh, standing yeah. there holding up the women in the ballet sequence, where they're, like, they're just climbing on him like a jungle gym. It's like, it's like I would yeah. just love to stand next to you just to see, like, your true size. I mean, look at the size of his arms. He's almost like the mountain in Game of Thrones, where it's like he's a walking big man. Yeah. Of, of a man. It's, yeah. like, it's, it's like it's like it's like I can believe because you forget Hugh Jackman. Like he's over six feet tall. So the fact that like you got someone who can physically look as impo- like look look imposing against Hugh Jackman, especially in that fight scene where like like um. Uh, Schuler's giving it is just as good as Hugh Jackman is in that final fight scene between the two of them. Like they're going at it with each other. Like it's intense. Very well done. So, yeah, well said. Uh, this cast is just fantastic. Let's just let's just give it to him. Like Trevor Nunn made a great cast with this uh, piece. Uh, but let's get into what was our favorite production or design element. Uh, uh, Katie, I'll, I'll let you start this one. Yeah, I had a, a, like kind of two things in mind. A, the uh, turntable was mm-hmm. great. How, what a wonderful idea. Because, uh, and I love too how we kind of like go through the house and get to the mm-hmm. back of the house. And like, I thought that was really, really uh, very cool. And then the other uh, thing that really stuck out for me was the lighting design. Mm-hmm. I thought the lighting, how it, you know, he opens up, you know, Curly literally steps out and it's a, it's a beautiful morning and we're in these like sunset colors. And then as we first meet or we first kind of get to know Judd, we're, we're into night and it's, it's really just this like beautiful, like kind of like, um, yeah, scape of shades of, of, of light as we kind of go through the days. And I, I thought that was really, um, yeah, counts as a, a production element, but obviously, like Susan Stroman's choreography is incredible. That is just, yeah, perfection. Like there's, there's no one or very few better than her, and it's just like, yeah, it's truly just so. I, I could have watched that whole ballet like several times over. I thought it was, yeah, so, so, so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback right off you, Katie, because I had the choreography as well for this piece because i mean you're right susan stroman i mean there's a reason why she's a five-time tony winner five or um yeah four of them are just for are, are just for choreography alone the, mm-hmm. the fifth is for best director um but like she built this community so well with these dances that you knew right away who was who on that on, in those big dance numbers because i mean you have mm-hmm. the cowboys who are much more acrobatic and agile which makes sense because like because they're very much following Will Parker in his last so trick uh, moments and like makes total sense. And you have the farmers who are 
who Trevor Nunn smartly casts as these kind of bigger kind of Judd behemoth looking guys who are very kind of these grounded kind of doing a little more of a square dance. And so you have these two contrasting communities, but yet you could tell just by who they were on stage by watching how they danced in those big community numbers. But then you also have a whole other dance style, which is the ballet, which is like very traditional. Like just the way, like look at the way their arms moved and and and, and, and kind of and kind of the flattes and the kicks and, and, and the pas de berets they do all through that ballet. It's like she like she did a very traditional ballet, and the fact that she was able to get actors who could do the ballet as well as the rest of the show is major because normally um, they get other people to do the ballet, so it's like another person dressed like Lori and like Curly and like Judd do the ballet, not the actual actors themselves. So the fact that Susan was able to use the real actors in this dream ballet is fantastic and really portrayed that internal struggle Lori is going through, even though we all know who she's going to end up with by the end of the musical. Like, it's still a beautiful illustration of this character being pulled around. It's just fantastic. And I mean, even like, she got all, all the other characters, like even the way Edo Annie dances is very her style like it's very much chest out very kind of like owning the body it's kind of like watching anita west side story where anita is very much that same way it's a very kind of grounded proud dance and you have that same thing with Edo annie throughout the piece like susan knew how to choreograph for each of these characters in each of these groups and really articulated them really well so everybody had kind of their style and their own dance language and she stuck to that throughout the piece so bravo, Susan. Uh, Andrew, what's your opinion? What is your favorite production design element? Uh, so to piggyback off of Katie, uh, I really loved the turntable on mm. the stage. I thought that was a fantastic element. And they used, I think they utilized it very well. I'll get into that point later, I think. <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I just think that all shows should have that because it just adds so much and allows you to do make so much use of the stage without having to do these big Not all like, shows changes. can afford one. <laughs> this, is, this is also very true. Um, but, but I... So the other thing I was going to say was the backdrop. And at the opening of the show... I looked at it and I went, mm, okay, that's age. That's not going to work now. Uh, we have all this new stuff. We have the backdrop and how they used it. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't see that coming. And it looks really good. It was just so well painted and designed that it definitely gave this like Oklahoma landscape, set the mood for the scene. And it just played really, really well off the lights. It totally just uh, just set an emotional tone for everything. Mm -hmm. And it was just really cleverly lit. So I have to I have to say that was that was kind of a entrancing part of the production that I ha I have to say was very surprising for me. And I have to admit <laughs> defeat on my initial opinion of it. <laughs> Trevor Nunn loves his turntables. Like he used it in Cats, used it in Les Mis, he's now used it in Oklahoma. I'm sure he's used it in at least one or two of his plays he's done as well. Uh, like he loves a good turntable. And you can see why they're so effective. They mm -hmm. are able to they are able to keep that story moving 
adults. I mean, we just saw that uh, Ryan in our in our last episode with uh, Death of a Salesman, uh, where they used a turntable as well to kind of seamlessly move between locations and scenes. So, yeah. Uh, Ryan, what's your, what, what was your favorite design or production? Element? Well, you lot all took everything I had <laughs> written down. Uh, like my number one was going to be the scenic painting, which Andrew, you swooped in at the last Sorry, minute. Mate. No, but I do. Yeah. Really credit where it's due to this, just like wide open sky, this panoramic painterly pastel view. And like it kind of right from the very beginning of the show, just scoops you up and puts you in the setting and what i like about it is that it is sublime without being realistic mm-hmm. that like it doesn't matter that it looks fake it just really sweeps you in and i think that is worth a shout out second choice would have been the choreography but i don't think i have any more to add to, to max monologue <laughs> on the subject what <laughs> uh, one thing i'll say that we haven't really talked about I don't have like big opinions about the costumes as a whole, but my favorite costume, and sadly they didn't commit to it, which I blame probably Rogers and Hammerstein for, was I loved Lori's costume until she got her dress. I, I loved her overalls and her like, uh, and, like every other woman in the show was wearing a dress and she was wearing her overalls with her pants, legs, hands in her pocket, walking around dancing all dapperly. And it's, it just like was what, such a great contrast that like showed her individualism and like separated her from the rest of her community that she is a farmer herself. And she's even her aunt is also a farmer, but still wearing a dress, still conforming to this uh, proper women's attire. And I, I was so yeah, every time she was dancing and you could actually see her legs moving. I'm like, yes, this is this is not inhibiting her. And then. And Eller gives her the dress. So like, oh my God, I'm so happy I have a dress. I'm like, oh no. You're <laughs> it definitely plays into that trope that like, I want to say pretty in pink trope. I can't remember. Like where he's like, oh, it's the like tomboy turned into like gets a dress. And all yeah. of a sudden all the boys pay attention to her. And you're like, kind of like, all right. Okay, sure. Well, all the boys were already paying attention. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Right? That, especially in Oklahoma. So her many yeah. yeah. Yes, especially yeah. in this yeah. in this musical, you're like, we did you not need a makeover it. montage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she was going to the yeah, box anyways. social, which is like a, an evening social event. So I, I would hope she would have absolutely decided overalls to wear to that. I mean, it, it, it is a fancy. Yeah, but it's an evening social where people like. It's, it's an evening social where people get held up at gunpoint and bid on picnic <laughs> baskets. Like, this is a weird party to begin with. <laughs> hey, weird party. <laughs> like, hey, I, it's there's Oklahoma. no rules. <laughs> it's yeah. Oklahoma. What can you, what can you expect? <laughs> exactly. All right, Ryan, since we stole all of yours, we'll let you start the next one, which was what was the weakest part of the production? I feel like my answer for this is dumb, but I'll say it anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't love, and this isn't a fault of the production, but I didn't love the way this was filmed Same. for us. <laughs> because, oh, so, so they very clearly filmed a version of it with the audience present that they cut to at the very beginning at intermission and at the end and one time in the middle with that train montage just to show ah, there's an audience there but there was very clearly no audience when they filmed every other part of it. one the camera work was too slick 
like and moving around in the editing was uh yeah just too well done for what is possible in a live theater performance so they were very clearly starting and stopping and cutting and moving equipment around and there was no applause after any of the musical numbers no there was no life on the other side of the fourth wall as if there was supposed yes because they are trained musical theater (laughs) actors so it was it just felt wrong for the type of performance they were going for this is a pro shot this isn't a proper film adaptation Mm -hmm. and if they were going to do a version of it with the audience anyway they should have just worked the camera work around that so it wouldn't be encumbering yes but yeah it's not a fault of the production i'm sure to anyone who saw this live it was great on all cylinders but for us watching it through a service like broadway hd i was really hoping to get more of that authentic theater feel to Mm -hmm. it agree Um, i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback off that because i absolutely agree like that was the like it it felt so lonely watching the show yeah (laughs) because there was no audience there was no like especially when there was something that was clearly supposed to be funny and there was just this space it felt so incredibly awkward and um i think they could have done a hybrid where they had a filmed version without an audience cut to the pro shot and the zoom the close-up i almost feel like we got gypped for (laughs) part of like the scene transitions like it just was like it was too quick we just we were there like okay cool but they i know had something the turntable. happened <laughs> they had the turntable yeah. we they didn't need to rush it along show us the actual machinery at work yeah which is like the fancy um like a, a scene transition over and you kind of feel that like ah time has passed but just mm-hmm. the jump cuts it just it it, it felt like nothing happened yeah. and just because i know it's a stage production it felt wrong <laughs> So yes, I I totally totally agree with you, Ryan. It, it just filming it the way they did was a little bit of a mistake, I think, for uh, a theater a theater audience member viewing it over a screen. It just wasn't yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. I have I, to... I agree with both of you. Oh, yeah. sorry. I'm so no, sorry. no, Katie, you go. Okay. I, I yeah, I I that's what I had too. I was you know. I think especially in the last five months, I've been kind of like starved for uh, a theatrical experience. And as someone like who, you know, I think most of us do theater in some capacity. And, you know, the the uh, something that is so exciting is the role of the audience, you know, and what mm-hmm. what do they add to the scene or, you know, uh, how do they react? And, and, and yeah, that's, that's exactly what I missed. I missed the applause. I missed the laughter. There, there are funny moments in this show, you know, that I just felt, yeah, it would have been so much more, um, it, it would have been enhanced if there was, you know, real audience participation. Um, yeah. And then too, I was kind of like, why did you even include the audience in the beginning yes. and at the end? Because it looks like yeah. they were they just were the most unimpressed the audience <laughs> then, in theater history. Yeah, the the end. Standing Standing oh. yeah, that was truly, yeah. I thought that was kind of a strange choice. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I was trying to kind of pinpoint a part of the production that I thought really was weak and I couldn't really think of one, but yeah, that to me is what, yeah, is what stood out. Yeah. I, 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 maybe the fourth on this thing, the camera work was my biggest 
hurdle. I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Man, this production. I'm so glad <laughs> I went first. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, the production itself is so strong that it's, like, the fact that Cameron worked at, like, like I didn't mind some of the pro shots. Stuff. Like, the fights at the end, because they were cutting it so quickly, you couldn't see the naps, which, for all our uneducated theater folks, it's when it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, the sound you make. impact hit. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, but because they're cutting it in such a way that's really cinematic, it worked. But like the scene transitions are what bugged me the most because I was like, "Well, I want to see the house roll off so I can so the court appeal can come on. Like, show me that piece of magic." Or that's part of the joy of theaters. I mean, I, I mean, watching the stuff at Stratford we just watched, like they were very open about showing us a lot of the time, so, like, like how, that table coming on, coming off, or like, or at least getting the audience to react to things. It's like just like do what a sitcom does and, and, and put in a laugh track. If, if you know there's a, a dead spot or an applause spot where it's like, there should be a clap at the I end think... of um, uh, Farmer and the Cowman. That's a two to four dance number they just perform for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a dance number to dance. Yeah. Like, well, that's I, a... I will say. Go, Ryan. I, I will say just on the, since you bring up laugh tracks, since we talked about this in, a few weeks ago for Pipeline, <laughs> uh, like, I think adding artificial laughter or laughter from the onstage characters isn't the fix I want for this. I just want to hear the actual audience yeah. laugh. Like I, I don't, or if we're not going to have that, then do what most sitcoms in this century do. And that's tighten it. So there isn't that dead air where we're waiting yeah. for a laughter pull. Yes. Do do a Malcolm in the middle, do community, do yeah. the office. Like don't, yeah. you can't do Seinfeld anymore if you're not going to have the live studio audience. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I would much rather have the laugh recorded. I mean, like, maybe it'll feel the audience side, but just like record the audio of the audience laughing or reacting and then just splice that in. Like, that's what, like, that's all you'd have to do to like make it, to give that mm. piece just a little bit more because it's a very funny musical. Like, during, like, I remember seeing this at Stratford in the whole concept with, with uh, Gertie Cummings and her weird laugh she does and, and the reaction yeah. she Jackman's giving to it. Oh, like, normally, like, I remember being in the theater and killing myself laughing, especially when it turns out that Ali, um, Ali Hakim has, has had to had to marry her. And he's like, and then then, then Will goes, well, like, anyway, he's going to kill your wife. He goes, well, let it play out. Let it play out. It's Mind your own business. Exactly. <laughs> That that it's was funny. that was my favorite line of the entire thing. It's yeah, very, it was funny. very funny. It's very funny. Or or, or like when um it's Ado Annie and her dad and and, and Ali Hakim where he's talking all about the Persian kitten and Ado Annie's kind of ratting out Ali Hakim. Like it's really funny. Like there's some really good comedy in this. That like, exactly. Like it's really funny, and and and, and you just need to um like. I, I give that part of the show up because that's what this is. It's a it's a musical comedy that has some really dark tonal stuff in it. We'll get to, um, but like it's really funny, yeah. and when it's funny, it's funny. And so taking the laugh out of it kind of kills it a bit. It really kind of dampens. And it's movie. like it's like when you're in an audience full of people watching a comedy and it's just quiet. You're not gonna laugh. So us at yeah. home, we're like, I guess it's not funny. I'm not gonna laugh. <laughs> you get scared to laugh. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay, well, I, that's really good that all four of us chose the camera work. I mean, <laughs> that made our lives really easy. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go into do we think this production is worth the watching? Ryan, uh, I'll let you start this one. I think if the only thing we can criticize it is the about it is the camera work, then that answers that question right there. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I like I said, I knew nothing about Oklahoma. I yeah went in completely blind, and yeah, it 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 swept me up, and I enjoyed it. There's some interesting kind of problematic things in it that we'll talk about very soon. Um, <laughs> but but overall, if you like musicals and whether or not you have encountered this piece before, I think this this certainly is a good entrance way to Oklahoma. And I am glad that this is the version I saw. I, I'm such a positive guy. Maybe it's just because we only <laughs> we we mostly been doing very like good productions here um, on this show. But I feel like I'm so so rarely saying no. Don't watch this. I I always <laughs> want people to just experience as much theater as they can and. If you're already subscribed to Broadway HD, make use of that subscription. Get bang for your buck. Watch everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, as a resident TA, would you show this in a class? If you if you had a class where you were where you had to show a musical of some kind, hmm, that's tough. I can't imagine what class that would be in. <laughs> uh, like, I well, guess. Well, I mean, this is based on a play, so I mean, if you're doing a compare and contrast, musicals are plays, Mac. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, I mean, I think there's a great uh, course right there, no, but, but like musicals adapted from uh, uh, the camera one with, and then cabaret, and then you could do. Are... I don't know about that. I think musicals are their own thing. But, are their no, own. But I, That's a deeper debate. A play is a work for the stage. All right, I'm just going to. Oh, okay. Well, by that. Okay. Yes. No, what I. Okay, <laughs> so what I will say is. I, I guess if I, I would need to think like if I'm writing the syllabus and deciding if I'm going to put Oklahoma as the one musical we cover in like a theater history survey, I could I could see it from like a historical perspective if this is indeed the birth of the American musical in a way uh, that it's either this or cats or something. So those are the two or cats. Yes. <laughs> those are the only two. Like I'd much rather do Hedwig or something, but like that's probably too subversive for like an introductory course. Um it doesn't really capture the beginning. If, if this of was like that's what you're going for. If if this was um for instance like a subject like all right, we're gonna cover Roger and Hammerstein. Yeah musicals would you would oklahoma be the one that you of music uh if i'm being completely honest i, yeah. I know i'm such a peasant in this department um <laughs> but you know, yeah i i could definitely see uh I, I would love to do both if almost if this book ends their partnership yes. as like see where they began and where they yeah. came from um anyway long story short <laughs> i guess uh if we were covering oklahoma I see no reason why I wouldn't encourage students to watch this version of it. Mm -hmm. I would need to think longer about is Oklahoma the musical I want to cover? If it was a full course on musical theater, then certainly uh, I don't think I would be teaching it. <laughs> so not my decision to make. Fair. Fair enough. Katie, how about you? Is, is this worth yeah, the watch? I totally i think um 
Yeah, I think we've kind of learned, like I've I've certainly learned as like someone who like loves musical theater so much is that there are a lot of problematic things with um, specifically golden age musicals. Uh, and we, we kind of know that. And I think that we need to, you know, there's obviously newer things and, and ways that we need to adapt these productions if we are going to continue to um, to produce them, right? Um, or we just need to start producing new productions altogether. That's another topic. The, but <laughs> keeping that in keeping that in mind, I think that like it's it's a good production as long as you yeah as long as you have those things in mind. You're like this is what you know this has been, and now we need to we need to do something different. But yeah, no, I mean I think it's yeah I think it's it's mm-hmm. production wise like wonderful. I think it's totally lovely. I think the actors are are really great. I think the sets are wonderful. I think that the the Susan Stroman choreography is so magical. Um, yeah, it's, it's very much like, uh, yeah, it feels kind of like a, like a historical piece now. <laughs> yeah. Like something that, yeah, we could like study and look at. Yeah. You know, it was 1999. It really was that long ago, but yeah. That's <laughs> kind of about it. Yeah. Love that. Andrew, would you watch this so, in the producers? That's like a double bill. <laughs> oh, yes. That would they be interesting. So much bill. to say to each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like obviously they complement each other so well. Oh yeah. Um, so this is where I, I mean, sound both like a bit were of a done hypocrite. by Susan Stroman. So that's very true. So you could you, you could definitely say yes. I could. You know what? I could. I could see that, and it would definitely show both like her, a range of her um, choreography. So yeah, I could see that on a double bill for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what would I? So the question is, would I? Is it worth watching? Um, yeah. Again, this is where I sound like a bit of a hypocrite because there were elements of this musical that I really liked. But if I'm going to recommend a musical, it's not this one, That's... quite honestly, because I just there we go, Ryan. You got you got you. The negative one comes here. <laughs> no, but I just as a story, I just couldn't get into it. I found myself kind of like around half time. I was like, all right, I could turn this off. <laughs> like, cause I just, I just felt like I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. And there, as, as lovely as the choreography was and as lovely as the acting was, I just, the, the, the songs kind of just felt the same. And that's kind of, that's why I chose a uh, lonely room. Yeah, because it was like that one standout song for me that kind of like tonally changed everything. But like the rest mm-hmm. of it, I was just like, there's nothing sticking with me. Not even like, oh, what a beautiful morning. It was just mm-hmm. it, it just all kind of I was expect. I, and I think that's the hype of Oklahoma for me. Like, I think I was just expecting it to be up here and it wasn't. I'm not saying it's a bad musical. I just don't think it for me, it really stood out in any kind of mm-hmm like relevancy it was well, just kind I, of like a okay. i'm really glad you're mentioning all of this because these are some thoughts that did occur to me it didn't like hamper my enjoyment of it itself but i think the reason why you're kind of maybe identifying this issue with the music is that so few of the songs actually advance the plot yeah yes so they're, they're kind of just like okay scene between curly and laurie and then mm-hmm. a song happens and, but and it's it felt like so much i was like yeah. i can i just want dialogue for a little bit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it yeah. felt like fluff you're absolutely right 
Yeah. Well, once again, it's it, it's it's the. I mean, right up. The only thing we they've so in history you have showboat, and then you have this. So like this is very much kind of the first attempts because up till then a lot of times musicals were like Cole Porter things where it's like let's just take one of these hit tunes of the day, you know, like and we're gonna yeah. like you're the top. We're gonna splice that into this musical. Here, this is really their first attempts at figuring out how you incorporate music and dance to actually make that part of a story. Uh, like we already had Gilbert and robot. Sullivan. <laughs> but that's and opera. opera. Like before. That's a different genre. <laughs> that's but a it's different basically genre. the same thing. Kind. Is it, how, how different is it really though? It's, it's oh. different enough. Because up till then you had, you had, you had opera and you'd, and you'd had plays. Nobody ever tried to combine and go between song and dialogue like what was going on in Oklahoma in Showboat. So it's very I, much kind of like those early attempts at how do we balance this? How do we make it so these songs are relevant to the Because you're right, a lot of these songs can be taken out and you wouldn't really miss too much. The only song that actually is somewhat plot relevant is Poor Jed is Dead. That's really the only one where it's like, you actually kind of need that song that may have that scene make some sense to, to Judd's motives later on in the musical. But see, I I kind of think like this this very important distinction between opera and musical. I kind of think a lot of the musicals that strike me as some of the best ones are like your late Miz, your Hamilton, your insert other ones here that don't intercut between dialogue and song because every single song in those ones does propel the plot because there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, that's where. Yeah. It, once again, historically speaking, I mean. Oklahoma and Showboat and a lot of the Roger, Roger Henderson things are, 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 are what's dubbed as a book musical, meaning that there is a script and there also is songs that you're jumping in between. Les Mis and Phantoms and Cats and, and, and Jesus Christ Superstar, which started that whole trend, is, is what Lloyd Webber and where like, you really, really want to get back to that operatic style. And then we kind of went away from that in the 90s with things like Rent and Wicked. In the, in the early 2000s. And then we've kind of now kind of been moving our way back toward the... Uh, so musicals kind of do this weird swing of a pendulum where they're going from one kind of musical to the other type of musical. All arts do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. All arts do. Yeah. There we go. I mean, I, we could do a whole... I mean, Matt anyway. could host a whole theater history seminar about musicals and, and their... <laughs> like Mac, Mac could have his own <laughs> podcast where he talks about nothing but musicals. Oh, wait. <laughs> what a great idea, Ryan. I'll get right on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will say, I think it's worth watching because this is a very traditional o- Oklahoma. Like, you don't get these big musicals like this, like this anymore, where you have this m- huge ensemble cast that's uh, th- as well as big orchestras that have big sound to them. A lot of times it's synthesized and like 10 people in an orchestra pit. This, you can tell it was big. Like the, the brass section alone in this show was bombastic. So, I mean, just for that alone to watch an original style version of this musical, that is very close to what my historical readings of it is very close to what we got back in the 1940s with that kind of tonal shift they did at the end um, is like kind of very close. So for me, I go like, this is a very great traditional production of a We're now seeing new modern ones that was just done on Broadway 
that won Best Revival that had um, Ali Stoker, the mm-hmm. first uh, um, uh, act, uh, performer in a wheelchair to win a Tony for her performance of Ado Annie. So, I mean, like, this musical is being adjusted to the times as we're going on, but this is still very much kind of like the last kind of classic version that you kind of can get. And it's great just to watch. And I mean, it's Hugh Jackman doing a musical. I mean, right there, that's a reason to watch this. I mean, who doesn't want to watch him? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would say overall it's worth the watch. I mean, we will get into the play now, which has some major textual red yeah. flags in it that will have to be addressed. So why don't we kind of get into that? Um, so the first thing we got to address is the character of Ali Hakim, who, according to the original script, is, is supposed to be played as Persian um, or Middle Eastern. Uh, he's supposed to have an accent of some kind. Um, and he's written to be this very kind of stereotypical uh, foreign, a foreign character doing the comedy. So how do we address that in this modern age? Is there a way we can adapt this character to make him less culturally offensive and stereotypical? Andrew, since you chose Ali Hakim as your like, cast shout out, how would you go about addressing this character? So I just I just want to say that when he stepped on stage, mm-hmm. I was literally like, where are you from exactly? Because his I don't know what it was, but at the very least at the start, his accent just kind of like went all over the map. And I was like, I don't I don't, I don't know, know what you are. <laughs> and, and then he's like Persian. And I'm like, that's not OK. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, how to adapt. The, I think the character is quite funny if you mm-hmm. get out of any kind of nationality, mm-hmm. personally speaking. Like, if you were to adapt the play and just write out the fact that he's from anywhere, he could just be a nomad. Like, he's yeah. he's just traveling the country. Mm-hmm. Give him an accent. I don't care. But, like, just take out the fact that he's from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think he could just, I think he could just exist because there's mm-hmm. nothing really that... I don't think, in my opinion, links him to any particular stereotype in his dialogue outside mm-hmm. of the fact that he labels himself as being Persian. Yeah. And I think he could just he could just be this comedic peddler. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And he can and it's and, and the comedy would just I, I could relax really. <laughs> the comedy yeah. would just go and nothing nothing would be lost mm-hmm. by doing that, yeah. personally speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that was my thing too, is I was just like why does he he just doesn't have to be from Oklahoma like why are we giving him such a specific stereotype like Mm -hmm. he he just like yeah exactly I think that if you if you take that away then he yeah he's just someone who's not from there and that's Mm -hmm. the whole the whole point is that he's like this new person in Oklahoma right and so Mm -hmm. yeah that's what that would be my suggestion because yeah the character is super stereotypical and especially Mm -hmm. in this production where Mm -hmm. this is the only person of color we have on stage who's playing this stereotype is Mm -hmm. you know obviously really problematic and not what we should be doing anymore so Mm -hmm. yeah or ever you know so yeah so I think that yeah just making him he's a he's a traveler you know he doesn't he doesn't have to be yeah a stereotype of somewhere yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean I- i'll piggyback off both of you because i think you're hitting on something really which what which I, which i kind of boiled down to is don't put the character as caricature which is what this originally would have been you play it as just a human peddler like character like a 
traveling salesman. And what I liked about, actually, I, 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 sent, I sent this to all of you, which was the BBC staged concert is what they did was they subverted the character where they had a white actor play him, not with any makeup, but just as a white actor. And he throws on an accent and he calls it a Persian accent. And so what it did was it threw the comedy now on Ado Annie and the rest of the community who are believing because they don't know any better that this guy is Persian. And it's like, he's not. And we all can see he's not. But this community that doesn't know any better and is not worldly enough to know thinks that he is this kind of Persian character, even though clearly he's not. And he's he's not playing it as Persian, but he's saying he is because they don't know any better. It's like a sales tactic. He's throwing on what's it's dealing with that whole idea of this this these smelling salts from Egypt or this stuff from France. It's not from France or from Egypt. He, he's a peddler. It's a sales tactic. So him throwing on a an exotic accent totally kind of puts the comedy now on the community versus on him as a character, which is what I think works. I totally think the character of Ali Hakim could have been a Frenchman. Can I just say that? Like, yeah, it's, I it's, you know like, what? It's That's like totally have you heard a French? Goodbye, kind of thing. Like came on one of Napoleon's boats and <laughs> exactly. docked in Louisiana and made his way to Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I could totally see that. That'd be fantastic. So once again, I, I think that's the trick is if you take the comedy, uh, take the focus off of his nationality and put it more on mm-hmm. the fact this community doesn't know any better. And that's where the comedy is, is that they're being duped. But except for mm-hmm. maybe Ant Teller. Ant Teller may be the only person who kind of catches on to this and kind of throws it at yeah. him. But everybody else is believing that this is some exotic salesman. And that's his ruse mm-hmm. that he uses to kind of uh, uh, trick this community which, and, 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 kind of, and kind of woo Edo Annie. Uh, I think that's a great way to reinterpret this character is, is t- putting the comedy on the community not knowing any better. And really kind of highlight mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of these communities who don't even nowadays, who, 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 as we've seen in the news and, and, and other things in the world, who don't fully understand the world and these different cultures, would absolutely believe if somebody came in and said this, just because you said it, and I don't know any better. Like, I think that's a great kind of mirror you can put up and have a lot of fun with as a director directing this character in this in his interaction with this community. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen did that. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> like he'd be a great Ali Hakim Sasha Baron Cohen. I would totally pay. Like he 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 stayed he he totally stayed at someone's house for five days under the guise of Borat from I can't even I want to say Uzbekistan <laughs> but that doesn't sound right. Yeah, Kazakhstan. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 they believed him. They were like, oh, you yeah. don't know about COVID nineteen? Well, come on in. Uh, we'll just house you here. <laughs> Welcome to America. It could just play. It totally plays out like that. You're absolutely right. right. And that's yeah. exactly the comedy you play with this character. Is that. We know who like who this guy is, but the characters don't. And I think that's the smart tactic with this character. Ryan, so, I see you nodding and thinking. So what are your thoughts? I have a I have a lot of thoughts. Um so it's just starting to piggyback off of what you're proposing here, Mac, or what this other concert production has done. Um I think that can be well done. And I think, yeah, the Sasha Baron Cohen example is like the perfect you know, way that that very delicate needle has been successfully thread, Mm -hmm. but it is delicate. And I think to me, if not handled with care, what you're proposing sounds like it's trying to solve the fact that the play is racist 
by making the character racist. And if the character's racist, is the play not still kind of racist? Um, so I think it could work. I just don't think it's a Band-Aid solution. It needs to be heavily integrated into it on every level of the dramaturgy and the performance and the directing. That said, um, curiosity, Mick. This isn't public domain, is it? No, heck no. Roger okay, I, don't, I don't know how musical copyright law may differ from regular play. Um, it, it's it's it, like this, this musical is locked under lock and key with with Roger. That's Henry's what I foundation. would have assumed. <laughs> you can't so, say too much about it. So while I like the idea that Andrew and Katie, you've both brought up of just kind of neutralizing the racial element of this character, the fact that he says Persia so often, things like the Persian goodbye. Or the Persian kitten, as he described. Yeah, the, the Persian kitten. Things like <laughs> that, without the consent of this heavily locked estate, you're not really legally allowed to change it. So my response to that then is it could also be like, again, a hybrid of Max, where he goes, I've been all over the place. I've been to Persia. And he, he's not from anywhere, yeah. but he like, I've been yeah. to Persia. Yeah. Have you heard of the Persian goodbye? Oh, yes. Right. He yes. calls me his Persian cat. But like, he's yeah. he's from like New York. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Like, that's what I would picture is this character is like maybe Italian from New York and he's basically traveled, uh, traveled the Midwest and like just totally putting on this accent on people just to sell some corsets and some smelling salts. Because he's found that's a tactic that he uses. Yes. It's kind of like Harold Hill in The Music Man showing up in a town and pretending to be this music aficionado when it's like, you are not, but nobody knows any better. So, of course, you can sell it to them. I have two other kind of thoughts about this. Um, one of them being that, uh, to me, I don't know if this is inherent to the show or if it's specifically Peter or something or others. I forget your surname's uh, performance in this Polycarpo? particular production. Yeah, that. Um, he didn't seem like he was doing a Persian stereotype at all. Seemed like he was doing a Jewish stereotype. Oh my God, thank you. I was so And you were waiting for like, the Jew in the Zoom room to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was really like, oh, I, I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, that did not strike me as like, now I understand why not so much in 1999, but in 1943, had Rogers and Hammerstein and company ever met a Persian before? Maybe not, but probably. they're in show business. They've probably come across some Jews. <laughs> and um, to me, yeah, he had a very like vaudeville kind of vibe to him. Uh, very sort of Catskills, Borscht Belt brand of comedy here. And because that is a stereotype of the, the Jewish peddler that kind of is so baked into this mm -hmm. DNA as funny as I think the character is, I have a hard time getting behind it mm. ethically. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be the same if it was like a, a genuine Persian imitation here. Like I would feel bad about laughing at that, but because it's all, it's, doing something else in the guy's something else. I almost want to write it off as maybe this is the guy from New York that we've been talking about who, you know, <laughs> grew up in Brooklyn and is very Jewish and then put is putting on these Persian airs because he does not want to be Jewish in the South. Um <laughs> but that but that actually brings me to my other big point. 
And I kind of think I'm tempted to maybe want to lean into the Persian elements a little bit for one reason alone. And that is there's something kind of shocking to me about how progressive all of these old white farmers are, that they're all okay with their daughters marrying this foreigner, this non-white foreigner from Persia, and none of them bat an eye at that. Like, Will Parker, I don't, Will Parker is like, you know, he sure he's a rough and tumble poor cowboy and whatever, but uh, Edo Annie's father is like, that man will never marry my daughter. You, the only non-white person I've ever met, you will marry my daughter. Like that's, (laughs) there's something kind of like, weird about that um, i hadn't looked at it like yeah, that that's an interesting perspective that's really interesting but also like interracial marriage was not legal in this time <laughs> in the world yeah. of this musical um uh i i don't have an answer to this but i think since it's there and since the rogers and hammerstein state won't let us make it not some kind of persian well, I think I that's don't know an interesting all the dimension rights. to play with. Oh, it's a very interesting dimension to play with. I, 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 I have to reread the script again. I don't. I, I know that I think in the script, like in his character description, it's it, it's calls for, like, I, like it calls him a Persian peddler. So I think that is what he's dubbed in the script. But once again, I think like, I mean, if like if this BBC Proms production can cast somebody who is clearly not like middle eastern and play it off with, with, oh, a, with yeah. a really kind of heavy new york accent that he's calling persian i think i think Washington and hammerstein's estate can be a little bit more i think i think they're a little bit flexible on this one well but, once again i haven't seen what, the most recent just, either, and i don't, know how I they don't did it in that one so i don't know as much about musicals but for dramatic playtext copyright law without the consent of the estate or the author, if they're alive, you cannot change a single line of dialogue. So you can find loopholes like, oh, he's pretending to be Persian, but you can't make it not Persian unless Rogers and Hammerstein's estate Mm -hmm. consents to that. You can't make it Kazakhstani because, hey, we'll get the Borat crowd on this. Like (laughs) it it has to be Persia unless the estate says otherwise. Uh, So some kind of Persian element needs to be played into this. And regardless of whether or not the character is Persian or he's putting on a performance of being Persian, the fact that these old white farmers are suddenly okay with their daughters getting immediately married at shotgun point to <laughs> this guy who they believe to be Persian. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to play. And that's what that's something that I love about this musical is there's a lot of fun interpretations you can do with this text and a lot of different ways you can interpret all these characters. It's a very malleable book to what kind of ways you want, whether like we're going to get into this now with the next question, which I think, cause I think we've all answered it kind of gave our piece about Ali Hakim. Um, but the next question is, does this community's treatment of Judd drive him to his murderous actions or would he have done so regardless? So, I mean, once again, this is like a, another interpretation question from the book so uh andrew i'll let you start this one it's the psychology major that's why you mm-hmm. you called on me isn't it <laughs> exactly <laughs> and you're gonna get the psychological answer of it's like it's nature and nurture kind of mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. i think 
Uh, just the character of Judd Fry seems a little troubled. And I don't know if he would have necessarily resorted to homicide outside of this particular set of circumstances. But I, I will say that I sympathize with him because they didn't help. And mm-hmm. like, that was the, I, I think the, the, the smoke, smokehouse smokehouse yeah smokehouse yes um that scene kind of just for me really cemented like yeah this this is just gonna go poorly for him and i kind of blame it on Lori because i'm like all right so first of all you're trying to make curly jealous fine but you you asked about a guy that makes you uncomfortable to begin with and you're not sure about you're just kind of asking for trouble. I'm not saying like shame or blame or whatever it is, but like it, it just like circumstances definitely did work against Judd, mm-hmm. and I I kind of sympathize, especially in the smokehouse scene because that was the moment for me where I kind of turned against Curly, and I'm not even sure I really he really won me back by the end of the play. If I'm going to be honest, mm-hmm. he just kind of antagonized him and bullied him. And I don't want to say drove him to murder, but I'm not going to say again that it helped. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know, man. I got to say, like, it's it's a little bit of both, but he could have. He could have just resorted to homicide at some point, And it's mm-hmm. implied that he has before. Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect you also have to look at. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of an unknown question that I think directorially. And as an actor, you kind of have to argue and um, make a decision. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, Andrew, I, I, I'll piggyback because I wrote basically the same answer. I was like, it's a mix of nature and nurture and also the director's direction of this character. Because, um, I mean, Judd from the, the text implies that, yes, he has murdered before. But at the same time throughout the entire track of this character, he's being antagonized the whole time. <laughs> like that whole basket scene where Lily Judd is, I don't want to say you pity him, but Lily, he's like, I'm putting two years worth of my life savings, $42, that's all I have to my name, down for this picnic basket. And then you got this freaking community that just like, it's like, all right, Curly, we're going to bend the rules for you. Whatever you, like you can sell your gun, your horse, your saddle, I and mean, probably probably gonna get them all given back to him after the picnic is over anyway. So it's like clearly the community is working against Judd in this moment, and like showing their favoritism. It's like, well, no wonder Judd is like ready to like slit Curly's throat by the time the picnic scene is done. They're like I would be pissed off too. Where it's like, you, like like you've just continually like twisted the knife into like wow words there twisted the knife in, 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 into poor Judd where yeah. it's like <laughs> like where it, it's like and you can see Curly and, and Hugh Jackman plays this really well where the whole time he's antagonizing him he's like he's doing his kind of like bully kid smirk where it's like you can't come after me because I've got an entire posse of cowboys and Aunt Eller in the community behind me you got no one on your end of the rope here I can easily keep needling you and picking on you because nobody's going to bother to try and stop me. And it's like, well, I, I, like we've all, I'm sure as theater folk ourselves and kind of be 
I, 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 I can't speak for all of you, but I know in my days in school, I was never the popular one and I had my fair share of bullying experiences, but it's like enough needling. Like you can push people. I, I do feel sorry for Jed. And I think there is a really easy way a director can really paint Jed in a sympathetic light and make him really kind of someone who sure you don't like. And yes, what he does to Lori after the picnic where he forces himself mm-hmm. on her is like downright awful. But you can play him as a very sympathetic person now because he says, I don't understand. Like, you're giving me all these signals and yet I don't know why I'm not reading them correctly. Like, you can totally see a way you can play it that way. As well as you also can see him playing kind of like, uh, what's the term? Online. Uh, incel. Those incel guys. Where you can totally play Judd on that end of the spectrum where it's like, I have no pity for you in this situation. So... Yeah, I think it's, once again, it's up to the director and it's a mix of nature and nurture in this case where Judd may have these uh, urges in him, but it may just take the community doing a little bit more to tip the scale against mm-hmm. Judd. So, yeah. Katie, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I also found that I sympathized with Judd in probably, like, the first act. Mm-hmm. But then he forces himself on a woman Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh that kind of completely made me be like no no bye judd i yeah was not yeah truly not a fan um and the thing is like it 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 made it very clear for me that you know i know lots of people who are bullied who don't you know Mm -hmm. do things like that right like it's it's absolutely to me it's not it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm talking about him like he's a real person. I, you know, I, I'm not saying that he hasn't had like a, a hard life. Uh, but, you know, for me, that's just like, it's just not an excuse. And, yeah. you know, and too, it kind of showed that, um, uh, you know, he, he is able to, uh, or he, he has this tendency in him to act on his impulses. You know, mm-hmm. and and that was for me kind of like, oh, maybe he would be capable of murder, you know, and, but I, I do I do agree with I do agree with you both that, it, you know, I think it is obviously a um, a, a combination of the two of, mm-hmm. of, of this nature and nurture. But I do I do think that he has those uh, those things in him for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it, it definitely like he, like you said, it, he's a he knows what he's doing. I mean, yeah. uh, at, at that moment when he uh, forced himself on Laura, you're right. He absolutely was aware that he was doing something wrong. So I, yeah. I, I totally see what you're saying. It's not out of the out of the realm of believability that yeah, he could just murder somebody, and that's mm-hmm. a decision he made for himself, or just, knowing yeah. that it was wrong. Or just like yeah. like kind of like these, um, you know, he's very violent, <laughs> and he kind of showed is very violent kind of this they're they're all violent you know they're but all they're, violent. they're all yeah. so violent but you know he does show himself as violent throughout the um yeah throughout the show as well so yeah i don't yeah i don't know i i i i so i'll i'll question i'll uh put the question out to you i i almost want to say that he he shows a lot of restraint up until curly visits him because he has his, he actually doesn't have his he's not cleaning his gun he does that as a show yeah. it almost looks like yes he took it out just to show like oh i'm a tough guy and even then he 
Yeah. Who's very restrained through that whole kind of gaslighting circumstance. I'm also just arguing for Judd because I no, didn't like I, what Curly I, did. That's I the only totally reason. I totally agree with you too. I also think that Curly is a bully. <laughs> you know, I think yes. I think Curly is like the gym in the office, maybe unpopular opinion. You know, I think I think that I think that Jim is a bully. I do, yeah. you know, as much as we all like him and we all, you know, but I do think he's a bully. And I think that Curly kind of falls under that as well. Whereas he's like this very like charming guy who like we want to get the girl and all this, but he is a bully, you know, mm -hmm. and he does antagonize Judd. And it's it's funny too, um, that you bring up the scene where uh where they're both bidding. And Curly does. He has the support of this entire community behind him. And Judd just feels so lonely. Like, so, you know, like truly like the lonely house kind of comes into, you know, he's he's all alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So I totally I do understand the, you know, the the him feeling these these things and how that might, you know, um, mm -hmm. also contribute to to the actions at the end of the, the end of the play. Yeah. 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 Ryan, uh, what are your thoughts on this topic? So I am not a psych major. I this <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go back and say that's just like a little yeah, bit well, of what I'm remembering. Well, I, I'm, pre I'm prefacing my comments with that because I took a very different approach to this question when I was Ooh. prepping my notes and thinking about how to answer it. I don't know a lot about musicals, but one thing that I do know about them is that traditionally they have been. They, they have pit the individual against their society, that the idea of singing a solo against the chorus is nobody understands me and my community is just this amorphous blob of conformity. And I'm so different. I'm so special. I want more. And. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing that this is kind of the prototypical American musical by the prototypical musical writing duo, I was very surprised that that dynamic isn't present in it. It's present in Sound of Music, the only other Rodgers and Hammerstein that I really know. Um, and when I think about this conflict between individual versus society, in any other musical, Judd would be the hero or at least Laurie would be the hero and Judd would be the the guy who would... Yeah. Uh, he comes off very Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. That, like, that, and, that's, and that's totally why I... That's, that's the other final reason why I liked Lonely Room, because I'm like, this sounds like a Phantom song. Yeah. Voice. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just reading this dramaturgically and in light of theater history, which I guess most of the history I'm drawing upon postdates this play. But I, I feel like we at least watching it today are primed to sympathize with him in a way that his original audience probably wasn't. Mm -hmm. I think the 1943 audience in the middle of this, you know, world war II, to spirit of patriotism and Oklahoma's gonna be made a state, guys. I think there is this gravitational pull of community and conformity and becoming something greater than the individual. And as a result, the individual we are faced with in this play has to go. He doesn't fit. Um, that said, he is a bad guy. 
he did probably burn down a barn and kill the whole family in it. He does sexually assault Lori. It could have gone a lot farther, mm-hmm. thankfully doesn't, but but regardless, it happened. Like that is sexual assault, even if it is not does not reach the point of full out rape. Like yes. and yeah, like I think just to echo the points that have all been made so far, that there is a ceiling on the sympathy we can give him. And <laughs> there is that one moment in particular where, yeah, I think he hits that ceiling very hard and bumps his head. And I I think he had to be written that way. Otherwise we would sympathize with him too much Mm -hmm. and everything preceding or everything after that point succeeding, whatever the word after that point, if that, if the forcing, if he hadn't forced himself on Laurie never happened, it it just wouldn't make sense to character. We we couldn't finally say, and I think we are all are that he's a bad guy. Because it just it doesn't lend itself to that. At least, well, although although he did try to kill Curly, so maybe maybe that's a little too much of a generous statement. <laughs> he does try to kill him a few times. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> so maybe maybe I should go back on that. No, oh, like, no. That being said, like, in... you, you can understand why Judd is kind of gunning for Curly. <laughs> like Curly is is yeah. Katie. You're right. Cur- Curly is a bully. Like a, key, mm-hmm. a curly, a curly in high school would yeah. be like a stereotypical jock. Who, if this was written in the eighties, Curly would be the villain, and Judd would be yes. the hero. Probably, he's basically uh, just Karate Kid yeah. or Revenge of yeah. the Nerds, or which is also yeah. pretty rapey. But yeah. Um, that's not, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. I mean, like, let us know in the comments when you watch this video what you think of the character of Judd and how you would interpret him because. This is a great kind of debate topic. Uh, the last one, though, deals with the end of the musical. So for those of you who have never seen mm-hmm. the musical, uh, Corley and Lori, they get married. They sing the great song, Oklahoma, which was actually a late addition to the show <laughs> that, they, that they wrote on it's the train from Buffalo. <laughs> to, well, actually, okay, so originally the musical was called In Away We Go. They found mm-hmm. that wasn't hitting the right note. And they needed a, they needed a new finale song. So on the train from Buffalo to New York, uh, because they were the train was going through fields, they wrote the song Oklahoma. So by the time they got to the New York preview, that's where that song had come from. Um, wow. So anyway, so they sing Oklahoma, yeehaw! Uh, Curly and uh, Lori are getting ready to drive off in their buggy, and then we find out Judd is back in the in the town after kind of being away for three weeks and he shows up to the house drunk uh he forced he once again forces himself on Lori via a kiss that clearly she is not wanting uh after all she is now a mm-hmm. married woman and clearly only wanting curly uh and to be with curly uh and so then uh uh Judd initiates the fight with uh curly they duke it out, which the community seems to be a okay with. Like, no they have no issue with in. like, yeah, no one's <laughs> stepping to stop the fight. They all were like, oh they all were like, this is how we decide who Laurie should be with. <laughs> fight, <laughs> basically, basically. Uh, so the fight ensues halfway through the fight. Uh, Judd does pull a knife, and during the fight, uh, there's some swiveling on stage, and uh, Judd ultimately ends up. Uh, in this particular production, falling on his knife. 
and he dies off stage and nobody mourns his loss and they all drive off into the sunset singing Oklahoma reprise. Um, so prior to them driving off though, they hold a, I, I think the term is kangaroo court where basically it's like, it's, it's a show, it's a show, it's a show, it's a show trial for like formality sake. <laughs> uh, so the question is though, is, is it right for the community to cover up Curly's, I guess you can call Curly's accidental murder of Judd, but really it, it could be described as Judd's own like accidental homicide of himself. That's I, a suicide. I <laughs> There's suicide, a word. Accidental homicide. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, they dub it as a self-defense Judd falls on his knife. That's the court describing what they, what they do it as. But basically they kind of do a show court situation just so Curly can drive off into the sunset on a happy note. But do yeah. we think the community did right by doing this uh, action at the end? Ryan, since you went last, I'll let you start this one. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, so bear with I'm me. I'm excited. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> excited for my many thoughts. Yes. Um, as, as the dramaturg, I would hope so, because this is a really weird tonal ending that they do. Yo, kind of, yeah, you think. Um. <laughs> do this all the time in their musicals. I mean, like, look at Saturday Music ends with the invasion of the Nazis, and yet you have... Yeah. The kids and Maria von Trapp walking into the hills singing Climbery Mountain very patriotically at the end, even though in reality they would have walked right into Hitler's like mountain retreat, but that's besides the point. But like Carousel, Hitler walks into heaven after slapping his daughter and his wife. Like like Rogers and Hammerstein do this all the freaking time where they end these on these really weird tonal notes. So Ryan, give us your thoughts as a dramaturg. Okay, so the question is, is the community justified in covering up this murder through this show trial? That's the framing of the question, correct? Yes. Because we've gone in a lot of directions with this. Accidental Um, homicide of himself. This accidental homicide of himself, which is not suicide. Um, (laughs) um, So to answer the question in the form form that it comes to us... um, I will just across the board say, no, this is not justified. And I have many reasons why. Um, first of all, no court would, con- no actual court would convict currently for this. Yeah, it yeah. is very clearly self-defense. A man attacks him, regardless of the fact that it's on his wedding day, a man attacks him with a knife, is threatening to kill him. It's, and it's even if in most Southern states, especially where they do have stand your ground laws, at least today, um, but even if Curly had pulled out his gun and shot him, most courts would consider that self-defense and he'd get off scot-free. So I think they've built up this boogeyman of institutionalized law that, oh no, if we send Curly away, he'll be sent to jail for sure. And I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. Bringing up the fact that it's his wedding date, though, there was I, it was one of the randos in the crowd who said this. I don't re- remember if they had a name or not, but there was a line that I wrote down because it was so interesting to me. Or actually, maybe it was Aunt Eller. I should have attributed it here in my notes, but it was, we ain't going to let you send the boy to jail on his wedding night. So the fact that it is his wedding night is clearly given a lot of importance in the moral calculus going on here. Uh, it's not that like, oh no, Curly did nothing wrong and we want to protect him from being wrongly convicted. It is, it's his wedding night. Guys, guys, <laughs> c- come on. 
we already did this weird ritual where we interrupt their oh the couple's God. consummation. At least the least we could do is let him have his honeymoon. But my quest, my counter question to that is, if Curly was very clearly guilty, would this defense stand? Come on, guys, it's his wedding night. If if Judd had just showed up drunk and just be like, I'm angry at you, Curly, and I'm going <laughs> to use my words to express it. And Curly pull out a gun and shot him. Would, hey, we can't send him to jail. It's his wedding night. Would that have been a defense? <laughs> like, so I, I find That's a really good it, I, I find that. Yeah, well, this this importance of the time. And I get it sucks to have to go to court on your wedding night. I get it. <laughs> but at the same time, I think too much significance is being put on this element and not on the fact that, okay, he's he's not guilty, but we're afraid that he will be treated as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then that this kind of brings me to my last point on this. And t- zooming out a bit and thinking dramaturgically about what is this ending trying to say? Like to end the story this way, thematically. I... I think it's just the wrong decision from a playwriting perspective. As much as I've already explained why it's a wrong decision from the community's perspective, but playwriting wise, what the hell is this ending trying to communicate to us? Um, Because thematically what I gather this play to be about is the triumph of statehood of entering the union of taming the wild west and putting it into a civic body politic and to take something that seems to be celebrating that ethos and end it happily on the grounds that we will not take you to the actual state sanctioned authorities because our homegrown community is able to droll out proper justice in a way that we don't trust that they can is completely at odds with what everything else the play has been saying to this point, there is a thematic dissonance here like I've never seen before. Um, it's really so, cracking me up that like Oklahoma has broken <laughs> the surgical <laughs> brain. It's very so, fun. yeah, like, no, okay. okay. I've I probably spoken enough Ryan. about this and I'd love to hear what, all of your thoughts. I can answer. Some oh, of your I'm prepared for this. Okay, the sure, go answer. for it. <laughs> I mean, the Please reason do. for I'm the murder scene at the end is because in the original play, Green Girl the Lilacs, uh, Jeter, who is Judd, uh, the the character Judd, just different named in the play, uh, he shows up at the wedding scene again in scene five, looking for revenge. Um, and then Jeter shows up and sets fire to the straw. Laurie and Curly escape, but in the but in the subsequent fight scene, Jeter falls on a knife and dies. The scene ends with Curly deciding to give himself up to the police. In scene six, Curly escapes from jail in the day before his hearing to spend the night with Laurie. Men pursue him to the farmhouse, but Aunt Eller convinces them to let the couple finally have their wedding night. Thus ends Green Girl the Lilacs, the play that is adapted okay. in Oklahoma. So that is so, why we so have that's this somehow worse. Um, <laughs> but that's <laughs> why, like, if wondering why this so, random okay. thing comes up at the end, it's because they were following the... Um, but they're not, play. because it's still a different ending. They they gave themselves the adaptational liberty to change it and came up with something maybe not worse than the original, but something that's still... <laughs> 
incoherent thematically. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, if they were going to give themselves the freedom to change it anyway. And, like, maybe it should be. Maybe that'll spark some interesting yeah. discussions. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> Katie, Andrew, either, either of you have thoughts yeah, on Yeah, <laughs> I kind of think that you you hit the nail on the head. I, Me and my partner, literally at the end of the play, we're, or at the end of the musical, we're, like, screaming. We're, like, it's self-defense he's fine like why are we going through this whole kind of like thing of like needing to have a trial in the first like it was you know from what i kind of saw it didn't even look like he like had anything to do with the knife it just looked like he fell over you know like it was it was truly like not his fault at all so i kind of yeah i was kind of just like why are we even going through the motions like yeah i think i think it's exactly like how you said it's like they created this like boogeyman of the the political or the uh yeah the system and uh they're gonna they're gonna deal with it themselves before it gets that far when it probably would have been fine so yeah i don't yeah it kind of it kind of didn't yeah i guess that they were justified in doing that because they were trying to protect early in this way but yeah I, I i kept kind of wondering to myself why <laughs> why do you feel the need to 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 do this yeah it just seems like like such a like uh a step that we don't need to take <laughs> yeah that's kind of how i felt about it yeah andrew I, yeah i'm really just echoing here where it was just kind of like it was just like this i i feel as though like you know when you're like in an exam and you're writing and it's like five minutes or two minutes and you have to rush the end that's what it felt like <laughs> it's like oh what do we do oh man uh maybe <laughs> maybe maybe if we go self-defense maybe if maybe if we have a gorilla cord or gorilla cord or kangaroo cords whatever animal gorilla you, you <laughs> but if, maybe if we have that that'll be enough of a climax and it just kind of felt like that because the whole time i don't even know if it's justified it just felt useless Mm -hmm. because it was like i don't know if they're not you see i'm i almost want to argue that they're it's not a matter of being justified or not it's just a matter of like if if you just wanted them to spend the night together just go tomorrow it you don't you don't need to do also like sorry putting this currency on letting them spend the night here they were in the middle of that when you interrupted them with your weird ritual and it's only because of that that judd wound up dead if he had just showed up while they were you know doing their thing in the room while everyone was outside just patiently waiting for them to emerge (laughs) for, for whatever reason um then like they would have shoot off Judd long before Curly would have ever encountered him, long before Judd could have once again forced himself on Lori, which forced the situation to escalate as it did. Like mm-hmm. you suddenly care so much about letting them have their wedding night when you people were the ones that disrupted it in the first place. It's nothing about this makes sense. Yeah, this community made an seems explanation. like a bit of a jerk at this yeah. point. Like, because it's like you bully Judd, then you bring them out of the wedding night and then you hold this kangaroo cord and she's what are your what 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 goes through your head get your priorities together yeah like get your priorities straight none of this needed to happen but like yeah it just it just kind of felt ridiculous 
like all of it just as an ending and as a decision by the community it's like i don't I don't even, it's, it's just stupid. <laughs> I think it wouldn't solve all the problems that I've addressed, but I think, okay, if I were to script doctor, Please. This, this very old play, um, we, we already have a perfectly good scene with a knife with the kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be the moment that Curly in self-defense kills Jada. Mm-hmm. We, like we, we can accelerate things bit so that the wedding happens sooner or the the courtship whatever find some kind of closure before that but if in the middle of the party judd tries to kill curly and curly in self-defense turns the knife around and actually does stab and kill judd that would add some more layers of like nuance and moral Mm -hmm. gray area he would still be i think justified in self-defending himself but, but it, yeah, go well, on. Well, I was just going to say, but he would have actually have had some kind of action in it. Like, yeah. Judd falls on his own knife. Yeah. Curly, <laughs> even though they're, they're in a scuffle, he didn't, even in, like, the, the description of it, he didn't do anything. Judd fell mm-hmm. onto the knife. If, I agree with you, if Curly had some action, like, he actually pushed the knife with his own hands, there's stake yeah. in that. Yeah. There's There's that, like he could be found guilty of murder. But instead, it's just kind of this, like, there's no... And, like, it still wouldn't solve the bigger issue that I'm citing here is that the kangaroo court undermines, yes. you know, this valuing of the state and its jurisprudence. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, you know, I, I, I honestly think the best way to end this would be, it, it would be kind of anticlimactic, but if Curly's like, I'm turning myself in, and then we have a real trial that's just like, you did nothing wrong. Go home to your beautiful wife. Like <laughs> in that accent. <laughs> in that yeah. accent. But that would be the happy ending that they're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And I think they just make it so nefarious by like, yeah, by going against this supposed faith and law and order. I was expecting. So again, I've never, I've never seen Oklahoma. I don't know how, I didn't know how it ends up until now. I was expect. I don't know what this does for the plot, but I was expecting the entire time for, um, Judd to, to, uh, kill himself. <laughs> I literally, I thought that they, that, that's what I thought the ending was going to be. I thought that they were going to have this beautiful wedding and that they were going to go to the smoke house and they were going to find Judd and he had killed himself because of his like turmoil for Lori or you know whatever and that's that's how I thought it was going to end and I again I don't know what that that's like obviously a much darker kind of note to end the the show on but yeah that's what I was that's what I was expecting the entire time so this kind of like yeah scene and you know we talked about him you know Curly kind of like pushed him to kill himself in the first act and like I thought that yeah. that was kind of like foreshadowing this moment where he actually did kill himself. <laughs> yeah, and so that's a, yeah. that's what I was kind of expecting. And I don't, you know, again, I I haven't really thought this thought through as to what that actually means story wise. But yeah, that's that's what I was thinking was going to happen. So this was like very, yeah, very different and very, um, yeah, not that impactful to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. y'all kind of taking Nick, my plot you've been awfully points. silent. I mean, like, y'all kind of taking my plot points. I mean, overall, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the trial, it's it's a kangaroo court. It's totally not legal whatsoever, even though, yes, they do have a judge there. But as we see, he's been drinking throughout the whole, or sorry, 
They allude to the fact that he's being restrained in his drinking. Doesn't mean he hasn't been some type of intoxication level. Um, so, I mean, like, it's a total sham court. But in the way Trevor Nunn directed this fight, clearly, Curly is not guilty. Like, we all know that, and it's very clear that, and the, and the community believes in Curly as well. So, I mean, I think as a director, because you have to do this scene because it's part of the musical, you can't get around this moment of the story. Um, I think what you'd have to do to make it actually a compelling scene and not just like a, for freak's sake, let's wrap up this weird epilogue we're in here. <laughs> like, I think you have to direct that fight scene and make it so it's really ambiguous where the audience and the community doesn't really know how that fight kind of came out the way it did, leaving it more on an ambiguous note. I think that's what you have to do to actually make this scene make any type of sense because totally it is such a weird 180 shift from this rousing community number of oklahoma to man and slaughter homicide whatever it is the accidental stabbing of judd to this really dramatic scene between Eller and lord by himself by himself um like and then you have this really emotional dramatic scene between laurie and aunt eller and then it's like like, it's just so, the tone, like, it's, like, this is where as a director, I, I would look forward to doing this, because it's like, you could, you have to do a really good job with this ending to actually land it. Like, like it, it's, it's kind of like you're doing a great job if you're kind of balancing already, but then you got to stick the landing with this tonally weird ending, where if it doesn't land, it can really sour the ending of this musical. Because you're like, well, what the hell? What is this? Like, some guy deciding that we're all singing... Oh, what a beautiful morning! <laughs> as as they drive up in a buggy, it's like, where did this come from? <laughs> like, what the hell is happening here? Wait, flip me uh, off. Exactly. It's certainly <laughs> on top. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that too. Oh, they basically do all. They basically, do all the big numbers in their finale, which is great. But it's like so totally weird that I'm like, I can see where it comes from because now having studied the plot of Greenville Little Alex, I can see why. In their adaptation, they thought this was a way to do it, but it's still really strange. It's 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 a weird ending that I like Ryan's idea of doing the fight scene with him and Judd. Like, like I would even have it where Curly walks in on Judd attacking Lori after the picnic, and then a fight ensues. So now it's only really just Lori's word, having witnessed the fight between Judd and Curly. So now you got some really ambiguous things going on in here. So I kind of like that Curly doesn't save Laurie, though. I, I like how she well, no, defends no, no, no. herself yeah. in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. I Lori would not want it. To, yeah, 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 really yeah, yeah, Laurie definitely needs her moment to defend herself. But then, like, after she says, get off the land, get off the property, whatever, Curly shows up at the very end of the scene to see the tail end of the scene. And Judge, just because he's seeing red, turns his it turns his eyes on Curly and goes after Curly because maybe Curly says something else to provoke him because you know Curly's a, a dick that way um like what I thought for sure was gonna happen is like very shortly after that exchange between Judd and Lori mm-hmm. Lori and Curly are kissing and getting engaged like I thought for sure Judd was gonna walk in on that and like I I, I I I read I read the I read these prompt questions before watching the show well I helped Mac write them <laughs> but I <laughs> I, I I was waiting for the moment. Okay, there's going to be some scuffle, and Judd's going to die. But 
I kept being surprised at how long it was taking to get there because there were many appropriate <laughs> yeah. moments for it. Wow, that's still alive. He's oh still God. kicking here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? They're they're already married. How how much more? How are we gonna get from this? To- yeah. And yeah. we didn't. It didn't. It yeah. wasn't smooth at all. <laughs> not not, not organic. No. <laughs> not at all. Uh. But yeah, there we go. That is the end of our first musical review of Oklahoma. So woohoo. So let us know uh, what other pro shop musicals you would like us to cover. Uh, in the meantime, though, Katie, where can they find you if people want to get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram, I guess, at uh, Mercier Miller. So M-E-R-C-I-E-R Miller. Uh, yeah, you can check me out there. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Andrew, where can they follow you in Endure Exploits? Okay, so I, last time I was on here, I had an Instagram page that I was like, oh, this is my artist account. And for some reason, I just forget that I have it. So just go to the personal one and I have it censored It and it has art stuff on it. Just go to Instagram at Pawaru13. You won't know how to spell it until uh, somebody from Cup of Hemlock tags me and just follow the tag. <laughs> follow the rabbit hole. You will find the Mad Hatter. <laughs> Love, that. Love that. Uh Ryan, give us your classic sign off, will ya? Uh, you can't find me on social media, so don't even try. Um <laughs> I'm on Facebook, but I don't want friend requests from strangers. So if if you're a fan of mine, as if such a thing exists, um <laughs> Uh, please just send that love to Cup of Hemlock. Most of what I share is just promoting these videos when they're released, so you're not missing much. Fabulous. Uh, and then you can find me at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, you also can follow my podcast before the downbeat. As of this recording, we have now finished season two of the podcast. We wrapped up the season with uh, the Jonathan Larson musical Rent. Um, so if you want to find out why that is my least favorite, favorite musical of all time, uh, you can easily go and have a listen and find out the secret. Uh, but in the meantime, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time, uh, on Before the Downbeat. And until then, have a great evening. Stay healthy, stay safe. Bye.